I was getting my naltrexone and antibus and things at a pharmacy uh, at a disc camp, and there was a lady in front of me. I could see her meds, and I'm like, oh, did it's, it's, it's someone with a gastric bypass. And we talked about how the surgery went and how's the weight loss been and all of that sort of thing. And then my meds came, and then I'm like, these are my drinking meds. So, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is for alcohol. And she said, oh, and have you got like a support system? And I'm like, no, like I didn't really resonate with AA, you know. There's quite a bit that I didn't like about AA and I don't know if it's a good support system. I need to go back maybe, but I'm looking for the right thing. And then they said, well, have you heard about this tribe sober? No. And they gave me the website and I looked it up on Google and all of them then reached out to you. So that was my support system and I've loved being with you guys. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 170. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. You can't do this without community. So I see so many, so many people, especially women, not telling anybody about what they're doing. I haven't told anybody yet. Yeah. And I've always been, I, I, again, when I knew I was done that day, I also knew I had to live it out loud because I didn't, I couldn't leave any doors open. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com, hit join our tribe and you'll get all the info. My guest this week is tribe member Brad, who struggled with his weight and his drinking. I love his story about how he heard about Tribe Sober when he was in the chemist picking up his meds. I began our interview by asking Brad to introduce himself. So my name is Bradley. I live in Centurion, South Africa. For uh, international listeners, that's between Johannesburg and Pretoria. Born in Durban, South Africa, 42 years ago. I work in RT, and as of today, I'm exactly 400 days alcohol-free. Wow, amazing. So glad we got you on your 400 yeah, days. Yeah, very auspicious, I think. So let's dive into the drinking story, shall we, Brad? When did it all start? Were you a teenage drinker? Yes, 
my first my first beer I actually remember quite clearly. I had a sip of my dad's beer when I was I think eleven or twelve. But I remember I hated the taste of it. It was crazy to me that anyone would drink it. And then didn't really drink again until until I was a teenager. My parents weren't big drinkers, so they didn't have alcohol in the house. I personally started drinking when I was in high school. I went to an all-boys high school in Johannesburg, and I wasn't hostile there. By the time the drinking came around, it was quite a. It was one of the competitive things that the boys did. All boys high schools, everything's a competition. And I remember we used to do these house parties on the weekends where you'd pay sort of an entrance fee and it was our sort of first access to alcohol, probably 16, 17. It would be binge drinking. So I think the beers are a bit of an acquired taste, so more of the sliders and things in the beginning until you teach yourself how to... Yeah, we force ourselves to drink this this stuff that tastes horrible. Because coming of age, it, it must be because we want to be like everybody mm-hmm. else. We want to fit in. Yeah. So if we said, "Oh, it tastes disgusting. I, I can't drink this," everyone would say, "What?" Well, don't worry. You'll get used to it. It's an acquired taste. Yeah, yeah, and we take, do. Take we do. years to to get used to it, but you know, you work your way up to the whiskies and the brandies. And what about college? I was always interested in computers. My my dad was sort of a hobbyist enthusiast when it came to computers. So that's got got into computers from quite young and then was hired as like a junior appy technician and ended up staying with that company. We had various names and various owners, but stayed with that company for 18 and a half years. We would sometimes entertain clients, suppliers would entertain us. Uh, so we'd often go uh, drinking after work, sometimes boozy lunches. I was earning well, obviously, compared to everyone that was just studying. I think an important thing for me is my my drinking journey was very tied to my weight loss journey. You had gastric surgery? Yes, yeah. So my, my yeah. drinking was always very related to my weight, you know. So I thought I was a chubby child. And I thought I was overweight in high school. But after I left started to eat takeaway food instead of the hostile food you know obviously not exercising as much as I was in school I drinking heavily I've packed on significant weight I would say 50 kgs in my 20s in my late 20s I decided to sort my weight out no matter what so I figured okay this is it's time to sort this thing out I started to get professional help and then add to it. So I started, started with a psychologist to work on psychologically where the weight was coming from, a nutritionist, a personal trainer, blood tests, medicine, supplements. And then I kept adding and adding and adding until I could figure out how to solve this problem. And then eventually my nutritionist and my psychologist arranged an appointment with an endocrinologist, uh, Professor Van der Merwe, a world-renowned she she sort of explained to me the physiological impact of picking up weight and being overweight for a long time. Actually, losing the weight and keeping it off with lifestyle changes is, is like winning the lottery. You know, it's very, very rare. And she she convinced me that uh, the, the most practical way to lose the weight and keep it off would be gastric bypass surgery. We put together the evidence pack. My medical aid paid for it. So my highest was 165 kgs, and then within six months I was down to 110, 115. 
So I did stints without drinking before, you know, but it was for weight loss. So I would focus on my, I'd exercise hard, I'd focus on my yeah. on my diet, I'd cut out alcohol for months and months at a time. And that was really like the only, only way I could consistently lose weight. And then after the gastric bypass, that was something that they told me to be careful of, you know, is that you can... The drinking. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you know, I've heard it's that one as well. Of, Obviously, if there's like a compulsion like eating, um, it's quite easy to replace it with another compulsion. Alcohol is obviously extremely dangerous, so not a good thing to replace your, your eating with. Um, so they told me to be careful, and I sort of, I was very careful for years and dabbled in my alcohol and watched it, and I would feel very bad if I had like a sugary drink like a soda or a brandy or something like that. Did they give you guidelines about quantity? Yes, as I mean, there's guidelines on quantity for drinking all over the place. But who listens to that? You know, mm. Mm. you have you have well, two glasses. I thought if of, you'd had a major operation, you might. <laughs> no, no, doesn't make you. No. Okay. Doesn't make you take better care of your health because you have something major wrong with you. It's hard to not live like everyone else is living. You know, you're out with your friends, yeah. you're socialising, and then yeah. and you have one or two glasses of bad decision juice, and you're more sensitive than everyone around you. You're not going going to make good decisions. I was quite aware of it. I would say my best year was probably 2017. My partner and I, at the time, we decided uh, we weren't getting a lot of benefit out of alcohol, so we decided to take a year off. 31st of December 2016, New Year's, was our, we did our last drink, and then we did a year alcohol-free, besides special wow. occasions. So we, we drank two or three times. Was it times. difficult? Mm, not really. Doing something with your partner is always easy. Yeah, yeah. Easier. Absolutely. Uh, at least. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I needed to finish my MBA. I had to do my research, my th thesis. Um, I was working quite hard. I had about a third of the company reporting to me at the time, directly or indirectly. So it was, it was give, gave me something to focus on, you know. So I was getting to gym a lot. I was waking up. I had a really nice routine. So I would either be at the at the university or I'd be at work Monday to Saturday. And yeah, it was a really good year. And did you feel good? Yeah, fantastic. That was my, my healthiest year. And my lowest weight was, I think I was just under 100 kgs at the end of 2017. We did our first, first drink on January 2018 took my first drink and didn't stop. Did the two of you not discuss um, keeping it going? Because I'm sure she felt good as well. We did. You know, I think she, she, had, a, she had better capability to moderate than, than I did. I think finishing my studies, it was like this big vacuum in my life, you know. There was a gap. Yeah. And I knew it would come, you know. And then I knew it would be there because mm. I was enjoying it so much. It was challenging stimulating learning a lot so socializing with mm. the people in your class you had your groups that you were working with your syndicates so i knew there'd be a gap in my life and i ne knew i needed to be careful about what i filled it with i was thinking more like work or further studies or mm. the friendships that i would carry on from that and i ended up filling most of that gap with alcohol I wanted to start my own business 
So I resigned from my job. November 2018, I'd left that job after 18 and a half years to start my own business in renewable energy. And there was another gap, which another vacuum, which I also needed to fill. And why, why was that a gap? You mean you missed your corporate yes, life? Yeah, so that my job, yeah. my role, my the status and everything that came with it. So that was a gap that I uh, was expecting to fill with my own business and alcohol crept into that space as well. By the end of 2019, I think it had complete control of me. It's seductive and creeping in the beginning and then by the time it has a hold of you, you don't know exactly when it happened. Yeah, uh, very tough to start your own business and trying to do it while you're drinking is not as an uphill battle. You know, especially when you don't have that structure, you know. It doesn't matter if you've got a hangover or if you start drinking at lunchtime. You know, you, you don't have staff looking up to you you don't yeah. have bosses keeping an eye yeah. on you so everything is at your own schedule so if you decide i need to make a couple of sales calls and i uh, need to fill up my calendar for next week uh, why don't i do it at the pub and then you get a few uh rejections you know sales especially in, with your own business is, is tough you get a few rejections and you're like what's the point spend the rest of the day getting flushed so, yeah so you were uh, self-medicating yeah. your, your stress really with it yeah yeah You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So, Brad, you say that the the alcohol really got a hold of you by this time. Um, So what was your routine? What were you drinking? Were you still on beer or had you switched to wine? Did you drink every day? Did you self-medicate with it? Just give us a picture Mm. of how your life was at that time. Yeah. So... I think the, it got the worst in 2020. So maybe we should talk about 2019. Uh, it was becoming more and more of a problem. My partner wanted me to do something about it. I wanted to do something about it. Uh, I went to AA meetings. So I think I ended up going to at least 15 different AA groups, probably 30 meetings, maybe 40 meetings altogether. And uh, I think that whole process made me convinced I'm not an alcoholic, definitely. Yeah, because you met people that were <laughs> yeah. more than you. you. Me t- yeah, and I don't yeah, know if you know I that checklist for the AA. If you, if you, you, you go through, there's like a ch- 10 questions About, or something. And yeah. If you answer yeah. yes to more than three of them, then you're probably an alcoholic. And uh, I went through that checklist and I'm like, everyone I know is an alcoholic. Eventually, my partner had had enough end of 2019, beginning of 2020. She didn't want to be the one to pull the trigger, so if she wanted me to, uh, I broke up with her. (laughs) And yeah, and then I was stuck in a small flat up in Joburg uh, with no real furniture, no real appliances or anything. And it was the end of the world and living in the plague times. And that that's really when, when my drinking got the worst. I would say I could I could drink a bottle of hardtack in a day, two, three liters of wine. Um, yeah, it was hard to keep track, you know, when you're in the depth yeah. of it like that. And then they, they banned the alcohol again and then uh, got it on the black market. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> and yeah. met my... Current partner uh, in the in the heat of that, 
and September 2020, uh, we started to date. 2021, end of 2021, we decided we wanted to get the drinking under control. So we listened to a book, uh, Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Drinking. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we did it together. We had our last shot. And I had a good five or six weeks alcohol-free. And then I slipped. We were, we were house-sitting for someone and they had a massive bottle of whiskey, uh, which I, I took a few snuck a few drinks from on the one night uh, then snuck a few more drinks from then before they came back I decided I should replace the whiskey that I, that I drank so I bought a smaller re- replacement bottle of whiskey to refill it was the same, la- same uh, brand and then I got another bottle on the side of that and drank that side one while I, while I replaced this other one yeah, and then and your partner, what was she, she doing? Uh, she kept, kept it from kept it from her. Like, oh, yeah, you were I hiding it. it. Her, okay. Yeah. So she didn't know that it. I fell off the wagon, and I kept it secret from right. her. I was lying to her about it. That carried on for two or three months. Then I decided uh, I probably need medical assistance to to get through it. So I found a doctor who would prescribe uh, naltrexone, which I'd heard yeah. some good things about. I tried something called the Sinclair method where you you take the naltrexone and then you drink with it and you don't get that same reward response but yep. um I was I would I was drinking through the naltrexone eventually you would get it you know if you keep pushing so I didn't <laughs> just enough. do the one or two drinks you know <laughs> I I pushed push past it Well this is it isn't it if we are dependent then we can't just stop at one or two drinks. Mm. So naltrexone, you know, if it doesn't work for higher quantities, then uh, it's a bit pointless, isn't mm. it? Yeah. So February last year, um, I went. I had a couple of aha moments. I had a, a good talk um, with my partner's mom about her husband who had some issues with drinking and really, really intelligent man started his own business double engineer and he he thought he was smarter than the bottle you know he thought that he could he could control it and it was sort of a an aha moment for me you know that uh, this man who's who's more intelligent than me more successful than me he thought he had had control of it he was smarter than the bottle and it ended up getting him it's I sort of made me realize that you're not smarter than the bottle. It's trying to be smarter than yourself because you're the one that's tricking yourself. You're the one that's scheming. You're the one that's planning. Mm. So this inanimate substance is not dumb or smart. It's just a substance. It's you that are trying to outsmart yourself. And then you bring, make up these rules and you say, I'm going to have one or two glasses of bad decision juice and then I'll make good decisions and... So that was a really good eye-opener for me, is that, that you are the one that tricks yourself. Uh, so you can never be smarter than yourself by definition, you know? Yeah, and it's so exhausting, all those yes. rules, isn't all it? It's mental, really tiring. All the mental <laughs> cycles that you put into convincing yourself and planning and scheming and doing this is yeah. training. And then you break the rules yeah. and feel terrible mm. about yourself. And you don't trust oh, yourself, you don't respect yourself. No. You know, your integrity, which I've, I've heard defined as integrity is an opinion that you have about yourself. A good definition. The more you let yourself down, the lower your opinion is of yourself. 
yeah, yeah. You know? And you start making commitments to other people. You know, you break so many promises mm. that you don't keep, mm. you, you stop making promises because you don't trust yourself. So by, by definition, your, your opinion of yourself is extremely low. Your integrity is very low and you don't keep your commitments yeah. anymore. And that bleeds into every other part of your life. It bleeds into your fitness and your eating and your relationship. Yeah. Can I just ask you, Brad, do the weight come back? Any of yes, the weight? Yeah. As you were drinking so heavily. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I've got back up to 140, somewhere around there. Now I'm down to 120. So I've lost, lost another 20 kg since I've stopped. So February last year, uh, one of my aha moments was a psychiatrist. That psychiatrist, I've got a huge amount of respect for him. He wouldn't give me any medication. You know, he was like antidepressants or anything like that. He, he was saying it's like throwing petrol onto a fire, you know. And as long yeah. as you're drinking so heavily and so much antipsychotics or antidepressants or any psychological medication, you know, all of these things, they don't drink with it. And we all just ignore that stuff, you know, don't drink while you're on antibiotics, don't drink while, don't drink while, don't drink while, and we just ignore it and we just all do it. At the very best, they cancel each other out. (laughs) If you're lucky. (laughs) At the worst, they hold on you, yeah. Yeah. You know, he was saying it's like throwing a, a a cup of tea at a forest fire, you know. <laughs> so they, and yeah. while you're drinking a bottle Great of whi- you're drinking a bottle of whiskey a day, <laughs> and you think this little tablet's gonna undo all that damage. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah. he said he would check me into rehab or check me in into a hospital if I needed to get through the worst or the withdrawal. My constitution's obviously quite strong, uh, but like the quantities that I was talking about, he was he was terrified of as he should be. So then I went back to that doctor i had a repeat visit the following tuesday and at that point i said okay don't worry about the sinclair method that's not working for me let's let's do it properly i'm going to go to zero that's the right number for me so we did we added antibus to the naltrexone and that was 22nd of feb 2022 a palindrome and that's my sober date 400 days ago so you are on uh, antibus for how long? Uh, about three months. Uh, also a benzo. Did you go to rehab? No, no, no rehab, no, no okay. hospital visit. I managed to. So no um, huge kind of DTs and things. When no, you well, I was on I was on rivetrol on benzos, uh, benzodiazepines, okay. which are also dangerous. People need to be very careful of them. Um, but it works on the same. It's a GABA inhibitor, same as alcohol. So yeah. it works on the same part of the brain. Um, I was on an antidepressant, uh, which helped a bit with the mood, Serdep. And probably over about three to six months, I weaned myself off all the, all the medications. So let's talk about early sobriety, those first six months. How, how were they for you? They were good. I think the big thing is keeping my commitment to myself, you know. Everyone who loved me was over the moon about it. I managed to uh, focus on my work, my relationship with my with my girlfriend, who now my fiance. <laughs> yeah, well, that worked well. <laughs> yes, that worked out. Yeah, I got a uh, little sober sober dog, Benji. As uh, everyone in tribe sober says, the opposite of addiction is connection. So I've, I've filled the vacuum of alcohol Absolutely. with Conne- love and relationships all and doggies and. Yeah, and home stuff. M- much, much better. Much better. So, did any of your friends give you a hard time about going sober? 
You have drinking friends. So the, the only reason that you really friends with them is because you've got a shared addiction, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, your addict friends would be unhappy in the beginning, you know, because they've lost someone to do their thing with. But, I mean, you're not really friends with them. You're just someone that you're using with. When they're ready to sort it out as a problem, then they come to you and they say so they're looking for yeah, help. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that happens, isn't it? They You highlight their problem. Yes. Have you had that happen? Have oh, people lots, come to you yeah. and really? Yeah. So 400 days alcohol free. Wow. Are you still doing the work? And what are the key things that you do to sustain your sobriety? Uh, well, maybe maybe it's important to talk about Tribe Sober. So uh, probably one of the rarer uh, members is that I got sober before I found Tribe Sober. So yes. I stopped the alcohol before I found the Tribe. I was getting my naltrexone and antibus and things at a pharmacy uh, at a disc camp. And there was a lady in front of me. I could see her meds and I'm like, oh, did, is, is it someone with a gastric bypass? And we talked about how the surgery went and how's the weight loss been and all of that sort of thing. And then my meds came and then I'm like, these are my drinking meds. So, uh, this, is, this is for alcohol. And she said, oh, and have you got like a support system? And I'm like, no, like I didn't really resonate with AA, you know. There's a, a lot of good stuff around it, but there's quite a bit that I didn't like about AA. And I don't know if it's a good support system. That psychiatrist that I was telling you about, he said, I need to find a support system. So I was saying, I need to go back maybe, but I'm looking for the right thing. And then they said, well, have you heard about this tribe sober? No, and they gave me the website, and I looked it up on Google, and all of them then reached out to you. So that was my support system, and I've loved being with you guys. Obviously, a lot more accommodating and open and welcoming than AA. You know, AA is quite uh, fixed in their methodologies. And yeah, I suppose always doing the work, very aware of the gremlins in the shadows the addiction that can get a hold of you and other addictions we use alcohol because we're self-medicating against something or it's helping us deal with some other issue and it's quite easy to replace that other issue with another substance so i think being part of tribe sober has made me more aware of addiction in general and things that i need to be careful of you know, also talking to people that are going through the same thing. You know, they've got their one year coming up or they had a, a nightmare about drinking or they've got a wedding coming up or they've got a bachelor party coming up and they're worried about X, Y, and Z. You know, it just puts it front of mind for you that before yeah, I'm in that yeah. situation, I want to be ready for it. And I actually have this thing where when I committed to stop, it wasn't forever. It was sort of in my head for a year. You know, let me do a year completely alcohol-free. I don't think I've ever done that since I was 16 or 17. Um, let me do a year, and then if I want to have a drink after the year, then I can, you know. So that I've proven I've got it knocked on the head. I got through the worst of it. Uh, it's not a risk for me anymore. It's not a problem. Even though that psychiatrist told me, you know how many people fall off on their one-year anniversary as they, yeah, they do a yeah. celebratory And you already drink. tried that, didn't you? You did a year and then started oh, yeah, yeah, again. I did a year, yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. I did, we did drink during, like three times during that year. 
So oh, okay. 2017, okay. we did a bottle of wine when we moved into the new house. We did um, a Singapore slinger in Singapore at Raffles Hotel where it was invented. <laughs> and then when I submitted my research, uh, we had a proper bottle of French champagne and that ended up being a very messy night and don't know how we got home. So that, that's why this... So this time, this Brad, when you got to your... When you got to a year, what happened? Because you haven't started, no, drink, you haven't no, started so, drinking. So I, sort of, I had this plan is that I could have a drink at my one year. Or, or maybe even a couple of drinks. Or, or maybe even a binge, you know. So it's, I've done it. I've proven it. I've got it under control. And then it was on one of the WhatsApp groups. One of the ladies was talking about her one year coming up and her being worried and her having a plan. And I think it was actually uh, at our regular meetups, you know, one of the Sundays where we, where we met up. Yeah, in Cherbourg, yeah. And, you know, just being honest, like I had this plan, this secret plan. I had this plan. And how that desire to celebrate with a drink had gone away, you know. I didn't see it as a celebration anymore. I didn't see it as something mm. to do once you've achieved something, you know. I saw it as... So backsliding, it's relapsing, it's yeah, throwing absolutely. it all in the bin. Absolutely. You know, there's so many other ways to celebrate, mm. aren't there? So but what it took, did it took you do six on or your seven mo- sober it took Six or seven months to for me to realize to stop break that connection. It's not a celebration. Yeah. You know, we give alcohol yeah. the benefit of all the good times in oh. our lives. Too much credit. Yeah. You know, for because of all the weddings and the and the birthday parties and the twenty first and the thirtieth and the fortieth and the bachelor parties and and the graduation parties and all these great things we drink with and, and then we think mm. alcohol is great, but it's not. Yeah. We're giving alcohol the benefit of our of our best times in our life, and we're saying it's Absolutely. because of the booze. Absolutely. It's getting all the credit for something that it doesn't doesn't do. It doesn't make mm. your party mm. better. It doesn't make you more fun. It doesn't make you more sociable. It's just you're in social situations and you're getting drunk and you think it's the drunk that's yeah, doing it. Yeah. But we have to be sober for a while before we mm, can really yeah. understand do that. Do a few think, weddings. Because when we're drinking, we can't, can't imagine yeah. it. Yeah. And even if it's excruciating, which it was for me, yeah. but you have to put yourself through that and then gradually your subconscious will accept, oh, I can have fun without alcohol. So who yeah. knew? You yeah. know? Yeah. 100%. So I recommend that to ev- so, everyone yeah, think, be the yeah, life of the you, party when you're sober. And then you can see, yeah. you know, dance and sing exactly. and celebrate with people. Yes. And then realize that it's not the alcohol that's doing it. It's yep. the great, it's the weddings that people love doing. Yeah. And then of you go of home and, a, and then you leave the wedding at a reasonable time. And then you hear about the fist fight that happened at three in the morning between the, the, father and the fathers of the bridegroom yes. you know is, is alcohol really that fun guys so many weddings it actually ruins doesn't it and it they degenerate into a big uh, scene yeah you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab that's www.tribesober.com yeah, I just wanted to say what you were saying about the one year soberversary and celebrating. And I think that's the joy of a community, because if you say that on a group, you know, we all pile in and say, oh, be careful with that. Mm. You know, don't don't throw it all away. So because I do think engaging. If you're hooked, you're hooked. Yeah. It's not going to go away. And, and I suppose that's the value that I get from Tribe Sober is the gremlins. 
I I'm, I'm get forewarned about, you know. So six yeah, months yeah. before my one-year anniversary, I see someone else who's going through the same thing, who's got the same plan. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. it helps me to, to put myself in their situation and say, um, do I want to drink in my one-year? If I don't, why don't I? What's changed, you know? So it gives you, you, you can play it forward for yourself and you pre-arm yourself for those situations that are coming, you know? Yeah. So what have been your top benefits of sobriety? You know, that's what I keep trying to explain to people. If you, what I, what I try to share with people, if you could bottle it, you know, how good it is. You know, when you deepen your addiction. Yeah, imagine if it was a pill, if it was a pill and it was on sale, we'd all pay you know, a fortune, wouldn't we? You know, when, when you deepen your addiction, and especially as you get deeper and deeper and the substance that gets a hold of you, takes more and more control of your life you you've got a thousand reasons to use and you have fewer and fewer reasons to stay sober and you've got so many problems in your life you know you've got your relationships and you're fighting and your boss and your children and your car accidents and uh, yeah. what i what i try and tell addicts is you only have one problem there's only one thing that you need yeah. to fix focus on that one thing and yeah automatically all of these things just start yep. coming right your relationships start improving and you you become a better employee you become a better boss your finances start to come right you you stop having accidents in your car your house starts to become clean you, <laughs> all these problems around you just you yeah, just focus yeah. on your one thing you know even if it's just yeah. for a month even if it's just for three months, just just try it, this one thing, yeah. and just see what happens everywhere else in your life. Because even after just one month, our head clears and we've got the energy to actually start dealing with problems if we need mm. to do something, yeah. whereas if mental, we're just numbing ourselves. All that planning yeah. and yeah. scheming and, and lying and mental Ugh. capacity that we put into our addiction suddenly gets freed up for other things. And it's just exactly you've got some excess energy, and you and you and you do the yeah. dishes, and you make your bed, yeah. and you get your your clothes adjusted, and you get your tires sorted out, and suddenly you take and you your call your mom dog for a walk, yeah, and <laughs> and you res and you rescue a dog that needs help, and suddenly yeah. all these things are so much better in your life. Absolutely, yeah. beautifully put, Brad. If someone's listening to this and knows that they've got a problem like we had and they're thinking, oh, it's all right for these two, but I just don't know how to get started, what, what would you advise them? Um, I would say top of the list is, to, is track, you know, to measure. Mm. If we magically got a report at the end of every month of how much we were drinking, how much it was costing us, the calories that we absorbed, how many plans we cancelled how many gym sessions we didn't go to if you just got a monthly report of this is what your drinking is actually costing you i think 90 percent of people will quit the next month i would just say measure yeah just track down how much you're drinking and how you're feeling every day don't yeah. even don't even worry and about can stopping yet just just every yeah. day like measure in a week how much you're drinking how much money are you spending? How is it affecting your relationship? How is it affecting your work? How often are you anxious? How often are you angry? How often are you exhausted? What's your sleep like really? So just track and journal 
Mm. Yeah. Great, and then, great and then advice. if you do, if you do, if you measure everything for a, for a month or two, and you decide you have no problem, awesome, more power to you. Maybe you've learned something about yourself. Maybe you picked up that you actually drinking isn't an issue. Something else is an issue for you. But if you track it for a month or two, and you you think the cost cost is too high, then give it a break, and just mm-hmm. a month, just see how you feel. You know. And if you exactly. can't stop anything for a month, besides sleeping, hydrating, and and eating, maybe it's an issue. I also say to people sometimes, you know, if you're terrified of stopping drinking, then carry on drinking, but just research a little bit, mm. you know, educate yourself. What does alcohol do to us? And gradually listen to podcasts and gradually you'll start joining up the dots. You know, well, maybe I don't sleep because I'm drinking and, you know, yeah, maybe, I'm maybe I'm putting I'm on weight because I'm drinking yeah. too much. I, I think it's very good to replace alcohol with something else, you know, in our self-talk. So to, to try and figure out if it's, if it's an right. addiction or not, it, replace it with the, whatever you're saying with something else and then see if that thing okay. makes sense. So say, I'm not as much fun if I don't have a couple of grams of Coke. Or mm. I can't go to a wedding without doing a few some meth. Or I can't relax at the end of the day without shooting up heroin. Maybe <laughs> it's an addiction. You know, if you can't do these things without the substance, maybe the substance is a problem. Oh, I think that hard drug analogy is, is an interesting one because... Uh, yeah. Imagine your friends, they'd never give you a hard time if you stopped taking heroin, would they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and you, and you, I could never go a month without drinking. But there's all these things. You can't go a month without heroin, but you do it all the time. Yeah. When you're addicted to something, that's why you can't do it. That's why you can't picture yourself doing X, Y, and Z without, the, without using so take the alcohol out of the picture and if you can't do it, then maybe it's got a hold of you. Accepting that is the is a big step, isn't it? Accepting you've got a problem and reaching out for help. I always think that's the biggest step. Yeah. Because once you do that, then you can start doing something about it. Mm. I hate the word alcoholic. I think it probably stops a lot of people getting help sooner. Mm. And, and I hate this whole idea of people needing to hit rock bottom. Where yeah, it should yeah. be, is it costing you too much? The cost increases gradually and the benefit decreases. And at what point did that seesaw switch over to say the cost became so high and the benefits became so low and because you're using and you're addicted, then the quantity has been increasing and increasing and increasing for the same benefit. The cost is going up and the benefit's getting lower. And then eventually you're using just to feel normal. You don't know what normal feels like anymore. You, all you know <laughs> is what being in withdrawal feels like and, and mm. stopping the withdrawal symptoms. You don't know what healthy feels like. You don't know what normal feels like anymore. Has the cost become too high? And yeah. does this thing have a hold of me? You know, those are much better questions to ask that do I have a disease? Am I an alcoholic? Yeah. Am I an oh, addict? Yeah. You know, you, maybe you're not yet. 
you're not addicted yet, but, but it's easier to stop now than in six months' time. It's yes. easier to stop now than yeah. in 10 years' time. If you think the cost is too high for you, why don't you stop for a month and see? Thank you so much for the share, Brad. You've done so well and your tribe is proud of you. Let's pull out some key points. Brad's drinking story is very much tied up with his weight loss story. And as we heard from the recent podcast with Adam Shabley, there's a crossover between the two addictions and how we deal with them. Brad had picked up a lot of weight in his 20s and his psychologist and his nutritionist both made a case for him to get a gastric bypass paid for by his medical aid. He lost the weight, but he was warned to be careful with alcohol as the food addiction could transfer to alcoholism. On next week's podcast, I interview Dr. Vera Tarman, who is an eating disorder specialist, and she tells us more about bariatric surgery. So more on this topic next week. So back to Brad. He'd got to a point where he knew he was drinking too much, so he took a year off and he felt great. He even managed to have a couple of drinks on special occasions during that year, but he didn't go back to drinking regularly. But at the end of that year, Brad had a drink to celebrate. And basically, he never stopped drinking. He'd finished his MBA and felt there was a vacuum where his studies had been, a gap to be filled. Contributing to this feeling was the fact that he'd left his corporate job after 18 years and he was trying to start his own business. So he started to fill this vacuum with booze. We have to be so careful not to leave a void when we quit drinking. We need to keep super busy in the early stages so there's not much time to sit around and think about drinking. And then when we do start to make progress with our sobriety, we need to find a hobby or an interest to fill the extra time we have on our hands. We need something to keep us engaged and to keep our happy brain chemicals firing. For more on this topic, listen to my interview with Dr. Loretta Broining, episode 55. I'll put the link in the show notes. So let's get back to Brad, who was filling the gap in his life with booze. And this time it really got a hold on him. He did try AA, 15 different groups and 40 meetings, but he just ended up convinced that he wasn't an alcoholic, as he wasn't as bad as the other guys after all. By the end of 2019, his partner had had enough and they broke up. After this breakup, he ended up living in a tiny apartment without much furniture or any appliances, and that's when his drinking was at its worst. He was drinking spirits as well as litres of wine. In the midst of all that, he met his current partner and they both decided to stop drinking. He managed a few months, but he succumbed to a bottle of whiskey when they were house-sitting for a friend. After that, Brad started to drink in secret. His partner didn't know anything about it. He tried the Sinclair method using naltroxone, but although naltroxone blocks the buzz we get from alcohol... Brad just drank more until he did get a buzz. February 2022 brought a couple of aha moments. His partner's mom explained that her husband had thought he could outsmart the booze, but he didn't manage to do it. And the second aha moment was when a psychiatrist refused to give Brad his meds while he was drinking heavily. 
he said it would be like throwing a cup of tea on a forest fire. So Brad went back to the doctor who'd put him on naltroxine and said he was going to completely quit rather than cut down. The doctor gave him some antibuse which he took for three months and it worked. During the next three to six months, Brad weaned himself off all his medication. He focused on his work, his relationship, his health, and he got a puppy called Benji. Benji is growing up alongside Brad's sobriety, so he gets called the sober doggy. A great idea, I think. Brad had a plan to have a drink on his first soberversary, but after about seven months in the tribe, he realised that this was not a way to celebrate, and we agreed that alcohol gets far too much credit for the good times. He loves being part of our tribe and he feels that the community chat keeps him forewarned about the pitfalls he may face. Brad is a great asset to our tribe as he's always got great advice to give to people who are new or struggling. And his advice to newbies is to track their drinking and figure out what it's costing them even before they stop. It's such an eye-opener. Even if you're not ready to stop, it will raise your awareness. And the best way to test your dependence is to take a complete break from the booze. So if you'd like to sign up for a 30 or 66 day challenge with Tribe Sober, just go to tribesober.com and you'll find our challenges. Let me end by reading you a message from our UK and Europe chat group. This is a message from Aileen to newcomer Emma. Well done for joining the tribe. For so many of us, it's been the missing link. We've become quite a chatty bunch in the UK group, so please post if you need support, inspiration, or just generally to be in the company of people who've walked in your shoes. It's so good to have you here. Oh, thanks, Aileen. And here's another lovely one from our Australia-New Zealand group, from Trish. Morning, Aussies and Kiwis. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone's week is going well. Don't forget to reach out if your sober friends here can send energy for your journey. Together we have the strength that can be hard to find alone. Sending love. Oh, well said, Trish. As I record this, it's June. So if anyone is up for a dry July challenge, just hop over to tribesober.com and you'll find the info. I'll post it in the show notes too. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.